0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 17 of that. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics and data analytics guy for Legacy Motor Club. Joining me again this week is Ben Amato, the mechanical engineering student and legends car driver Ben. Just wrapped up the Sonoma race. It's literally been maybe an hour, half hour since the race ended. What are our initial thoughts from this weekend's race
1: out in California? Uh I think a lot of people are going to not have been a big fan of this race. Uh, personally I was fine with it. I don't think it was particularly exciting, but I don't think it was a bad race either. Um but yeah, I think a lot of people aren't going to like the fact that there wasn't a ton of passing and uh you know, Truex kind of ran away with it once he got to the lead. Um so I'm not expecting a a great uh you know, review on Jeff Gluck's poll, uh, later today, but I thought it was all right. What about you?
0: I would, I would, I would throw myself in with the, uh, the lot of people. I didn't find this race to be very enjoyable, um, for a whole host of reasons. The, the main one being, it's just, it was just dreadfully hard to pass. And Sonoma, Sonoma's notoriously not an easy track to pass That We're all fully aware of that, but I just think we got to take some grip out of these cars, man. I I watched the drivers run the race and it's just the acceleration out of corners, the way that the car, you you just think back to those those early, those mid 2000s days of, I I wasn't watching NASCAR at this point because I was barely alive, but I've seen enough old races to know the way that guys like Jeff Gordon and Robbie Gordon and Tony Stewart would just go flying over curbs and the cars just look completely out of control. It doesn't really often look like that with these cars. Um, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. The first being obviously the, the amount of grip we got in the tires and that's not a tire construction thing. That's a, a size of the tire thing. That's the width of the tire. And I think that we need to go to a groove tire or just a narrower tire or something to take some, some mechanical grip away from these things. Um, but also the rear diffuser, as much as I love that, it is kind of causing some issues because drivers don't want to get up on the curbs necessarily because it sets off the balance of the car. And then the diffuser isn't able to be maximized and produces much grip. So there's a whole host of issues there, um, and then there's the narrow wake thing. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't love Sonoma as a track in general. There's a lot here. I, I here's here's my solution. Let's just remove Sonoma from the schedule because it's not a good road course. Maybe that's too far. I don't know. Go from there, Ben.
1: <laughs> no, I. I do think the bigger issue, I guess, in terms of why this race maybe wasn't super exciting, is just the fact that uh, Sonoma's never really been a road course that uh, lent itself to a ton of passing. Uh, I think in, in previous years, we've kind of seen some especially with the, since we've gotten into the stage racing era, you get more restarts and more opportunities for chaos because of the restarts. Um, and now that for this race, there weren't any stage cautions you know, it kind of got to kind of run itself out a little bit more naturally. Uh, and I think you just kind of saw a typical Sonoma race. Um, I mean, it, it is true what you were saying with these cars and not on the curbs as much because, you know, they got to keep them so stiff because of the rear diffuser. And, you know, you got to control the, the body attitude. And so you have to make the cars really stiff with the damping, you know, relative to what you would have done with uh, the Gen 6 car, or the Gen 5 or, gem four or whatever. Um, so, you know, you can't really use the curbs as much cause it's just going to upset the car a ton. Um, and yeah, like I, like I said, you know, Sonoma's just never been a passing heavy track. Um, I don't think we should remove it. I, I like Sonoma in the schedule. I think it's a challenging track and I kind of enjoy the drivers having the challenge there. Um, but I mean, at the same time, you know, we, and I do have a lot of road courses on the schedule now. So I don't think it would be a bad idea to look at maybe swapping out one of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree there. I just, I'm trying to think what we could even replace it with because it's an interesting, it's an interesting market. Um, how far away, we're going to lose the show awfully early here today, guys. Uh, we're We're already off the rails. Because I'm already going to Google Maps to find out how far Sonoma is away from Portland. Not that I want to go run the the Portland road course either, but, oh, that, that's no bueno. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, just, whoa. Uh, nine and a half hour drive from Sonoma to Portland. So that's not even the same market anymore. I I don't know what you do with that race. I don't know what. Is that race known for good attendance? I'm not really sure.
1: Um, I, I I honestly don't know. Um, I've never heard anything about bad attendance at that track. I feel like you usually do hear about it when there's typically bad attendance at a track. Uh, so that leads me to believe it hasn't really been an issue. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's kind of it's pretty much the only race kind of in that area at this point. I mean, I don't know how close it is to LA to be honest, but I don't think it's overly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I'm good with keeping Sonoma on the, on the schedule. You know, it was just kind of a so, so race. I don't think we need to have too, too much of a reaction to it. Maybe
0: not. Maybe not. Um, here's another thing that I want to ask about the, the product as a whole, before we get into the, the drivers in the race and, the people the players in play um I feel like contact with these cars we've t- we've touched on this before, and maybe maybe a a weaker tire a tire that's got that's either smaller or uh, grooved would allow for this to work better, but I just feel like when people make contact in these cars, it doesn't really move the mm-hmm. car in front like it just kind of for some reason doesn't unsettle that car the way that I would expect it to. And that really doesn't make any sense to me. It confuses me so much because I guess I just don't understand how that works. I don't understand why that doesn't set that car offline at all. It feels like it just kind of like stops both cars, which couldn't really make sense. I don't understand how that happens. Maybe, maybe you have some insight into this or maybe not.
1: Yeah. I, I think it really has a lot to do with, uh, Partly the size of the tires, and then partly the independent rear suspension and uh, you know transaxle that we got back there. Um, I think typically in the past, with uh, when you had that kind of solid rear axle, more or less that you had the back of the the older cars, um, that made a lot less grip than having a independent rear suspension back there, right? And so like when you're getting why on the throttle...
0: Why did we go to the independent rear suspension? What was the reasoning for that?
1: Uh, I think just trying to modernize stock cars. Um, that suspension technology we had at the rear of the car, like the three-link, uh, you know, solid rear axle type of suspension. Um, it was, it's just outdated, I guess. Um, I didn't see a need to change it. That's kind of what made nascar nascar i thought um, but i mean it, it make it, i think the goal was to also kind of make the cars run better on road courses since you know nascar was starting to transition to run more road courses um so it definitely 100 percent drives better on road courses now with the you know the transax that's why like you don't see wheel hop into the corner uh really ever anymore because the transaxle and the independent rear suspension are so much better at keeping rear grip when you're downshifting versus what we had before. Um, that you really just don't see that issue come up much anymore. Um, so it's a similar issue as to, you know, why you don't see a tap on the rear bumper get someone out of shape as much. Just it all comes down to just having more grip at the rear end that that bump that would kind of like. In a way, in the old cars, it would kind of almost lift the rear end a little bit and kind of almost lift the tires off the ground. Um, and so it would remove some of that rear grip. And if you were on the throttle especially or, you know, starting to get on the throttle or uh, what it was when it was really bad actually is entering the corner on the brakes and you shifted weight off the rear end. If you got a tap then and you take even more weight off the, the rear tires, that's when you'd lose it a lot. Um, but you just aren't seeing that as much because you just have so much more grip at the rear end. Yeah,
0: gosh, I just, I feel like that was such a mistake in philosophy decision to build a car that drove better on road courses because we were going to more road courses. Why would, like, the, our road course product with the Gen 6, I think, was was good because it was so awful. Like, I feel like the the idea of stock cars that just didn't belong on that track is what made it so good. And, and now the cars are just far too, too drivable. We need to get back to something that's big and clunky and doesn't operate the way that it's supposed to kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of drivers have echoed that a similar type of uh, sentiment that what made stock car racing on road courses fun was the fact that those cars drove terribly and they would just slide around everywhere. Um, and even even these cars, I mean, they still slide around, you know, like Kimi Raikkonen talked about it when he ran that race at Coda and even when he ran at Watkins Glen last year, uh, they're still sliding around way more than, you know, like an open wheel Formula car would like you see in Formula One or uh, even IndyCar, but it's still definitely a pretty big departure from what we're used to seeing in NASCAR for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. All right, let's get away from the package because... We've talked a lot about the Gen 7 car and the package, and we're going to only talk more and more about it this year. So let's move on from that. Um, Martin Truex Jr. won this race. He absolutely mopped the field. Um, who, even, who even had a chance of challenging Truex today? I, I really don't know that anybody did. Let's take a look over at the median lap ranks. Sure enough, Kyle Busch does finish second in this race, with the second fastest median lap. 0.2 percent off per lap of Martin Shrek Jr. Kyle Busch wasn't up there at the start of the race, and then uh that's well that that first yellow um in the middle of stage two kind of allowed him to cycle to the front um and win a stage and then he was able to to hang up there. And I think Kyle Bush is gonna be quite the threat this year on road courses, and I think he's bound to get one eventually here.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, that team definitely had some pretty good speed, especially once they kind of got out of like that bottom top ten area uh, and was able to kind of get out front a little bit. They they did a pretty good job of hanging on to that track position, and Kyle did a pretty good job of keeping the car up there. Um, so yeah, I think on you know when we go to Chicago, when we go to Watkins Glen, uh, the Roval uh, Indie Road Course. I think the eight car with Kyle Busch is definitely going to be a contender at a lot of those places. Um, I don't know, honestly, I don't know that really Brux will, I think Sonoma is kind of his, a track that he's really comfortable at and really familiar with. Um, I don't know what he'll be like at some of those other tracks, but I think, uh, we can kind of safely bet on Kyle Busch being in the picture for some of those races.
0: I would agree with that because you think back to when, when Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. were the uh, the dominant force on road courses in NASCAR. Truex always kind of had the upper hand at Sonoma, and Chase had it at Watkins Glen. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see Truex kind of fade on some of these other road courses, um, and Bush come out ahead. I want to talk about the next couple guys who popped up on the media lap charts, but first, I want to mention. Um a guy whose name doesn't really pop off that chart down in P eighteen. What was off with Tyler Reddick today? Uh one point one percent off Martin Frex Jr. per lap. Um we scroll over to the best lap ranks, and the best lap ranks look really funky, but Reddick was tenth on that list. Um what about Tyler Reddick?
1: Yeah, I think they mentioned this on the broadcast that Sonoma has typically been a track that Tyler Reddick has Maybe not struggle that, but it just hasn't really been his best road course track. Uh, so I think that could probably be part of it. Um, he he was up there early on. I think uh, he was kind of hurt by that caution, uh, that first caution on lap forty nine. Um, I think that kind of that hurt him a little bit, uh, and then he you know obviously tried staying out on the second caution for Hamlin, um, and it's just. You know, eventually, obviously, had that flat tire, uh, and had to pit, and then had the penalty, I think, and had to pit again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure. I think it was just similar to Larson and Elliott when they lost track position on that first caution. They were just kind of stuck where they were. And then, obviously, you know, when Reddick stays out, it just he just wasn't able to, to hang on because when he got that flat tire.
0: Yeah. Ugh. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Reddick. Here's, here's what's kind of popping into my head right now is, is the field spread with the Gen 7 car just so minimal that when we come to these road courses, the drivers that excel with that specific course just rise so far above everybody? Because we think about a year ago, Road America. um, We think about Circuit of the Americas as well um from this year anyway um i'm trying to think back to places where like reddick and elliott dominated a year ago and trying to think about what will happen this year i know that byron kind of excelled at indianapolis Mm. i don't i don't know i'm wondering if maybe the the gen 7 car allows for drivers who are Who specialize at specific road courses. And I don't know why that is that certain guys are better at certain ones than others, but if maybe that um, insinuates that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think different road courses have kind of like a different flow to them. Like I know when I was racing go karts and we had a couple of different tracks we would go to, um, you definitely, I was definitely better at, you know, one given track than, you know, another one just because one track just kind of suited, I guess, my style a little bit more, where it kind of, I guess, flowed in a way that was more comfortable to me, if that makes sense, Um, you know, versus one was just, you know, maybe there was like a specific corner that I struggled at, um, or, you know, there was a specific set of corners that I didn't really uh, have a good idea of how to maximize. Uh, Usually it's something like that that comes into play. Uh, when it, it, when you're talking about going from one road course to another, uh, it's probably even to like a, a bigger extent with, with NASCAR, because then you start to get into, you know, higher speed versus lower speed road courses. Like Sonoma is definitely a more low speed road course, but then you think about somewhere like Watkins Glen, uh, where it's a little bit higher speed, at least compared to Sonoma. So that probably plays a role in it too, uh, just in terms of, you know, driver comfort there and You know, it's suiting what those, what a certain driver likes to do. Like I know Tyler Reddick specifically uh, is really, really good on the brakes uh, and the way he's kind of able to modulate the brakes and um, kind of time his release of the brakes as he enters the corner to roll speed, but still get the car turned. Um, You know, that probably suits him better at a track like Coda that has a lot of long braking zones. Um, You know, but Sonoma really only had has one or maybe two, I guess, really long braking zones. Um, So, you know, maybe that's just not something that suits him as well. I
0: don't want to get back into the package discussion, so I'm just going to mention this briefly, but I feel like the high-speed road courses just suit NASCAR so much better than the low-speed road courses.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, that's... It's hard to say. I I think at least in terms of comparing, like a a Watkins Glen versus Sonoma. I think looking at those two, that would definitely be the case. Um, I don't know. The Roval
0: used to be fun before we switched to the Gen Seven car, I guess. But
1: there's nothing
0: fast about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That infield section in the Roval is definitely a pretty you know tight, slow uh, type of road course. Um, Yeah, that that definitely could be the case. You know,
0: maybe someday when this podcast is bigger and we've got more people actually listening and hopefully there's somebody talented in there, we can, uh, we can design the perfect NASCAR road course in our heads and then we'll have somebody smart enough to go build it in a video game and we can test out if we can design a road course better than, better than the people that are doing it. Well, that's, a, that's an issue for another time. Um, median lap ranks. Uh, We just got done with Kyle Busch, who was the second guy. Third on that list, a guy that I mentioned as an underdog, Chris Busher. I really think that Chris Busher could definitely go out and win a road course race this year. That man is immensely talented. Clearly a better road course racer than Chase Elliott. He was quicker than him today. Um, That 17 car had some pace. I felt like if he could have gotten through traffic, he could have been a factor at the end, but tricks just got by guys way quicker than him. He really struggled to get going on that, uh, that last restart with like 15 to go or whatever it was. Um, and then just didn't get through enough cars. Do you see anything out of the 17 or you want to just move on to the next guy on that list that you talked more about in the show?
1: Uh, no, I think you pretty much echoed my thoughts on, uh, the 17 cars day today It was definitely really fast. Uh, Definitely had a a really good day. And I think, you know, like you touched on it last week, um, he's been really good on the road courses. Um, He was really good at Sonoma last year. Uh, So I think really no big surprise for for any of us, but definitely a solid day for that team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then the next guy on the list is Michael McDowell, uh, who. We expected to be well to be pretty good. The problem is Michael McDowell is a whole 0.4% off per lap of Martin Truex Jr., um, and that just isn't going to afford a very good race. But McDowell looked like he could be a contender for quite a while today.
1: Yeah, no, that 34 team was, was really, really good, and they probably would have had a better shot uh, at Truex, at least could have had a top five if it wasn't for that awful pit stop they had on the final caution. Uh, he, I think he didn't even come off of pit road in the top 10. And then obviously you had those three guys stay out. So he probably restarted somewhere back in like 15th on that last caution and was able to get himself back up there for a seventh place finish. So you have to think if he could have had a good enough pit stop to at least maintain where he was when they came in, he probably would have restarted maybe somewhere more like, uh, eighth, ninth, something like that. And, would have had a good shot at at least a top five and kind of would have been more in touch with the 19 and the eight. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were definitely really fast. Um, I think in qualifying, I think maybe in, uh, I can't remember what group they were in, but in like that first round where they have group A and B separated, he put down a liar of a lap. I think he was the first person to get into like the 117s or something like that. Um, but yeah, like uh, that car was fast all weekend. Um, which again shouldn't really come as a surprise to anyone because the 34 has been really good on road courses for sure the last two or three years. So uh, another good day for that team. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Oh, well, one, one more thing I actually have to say about um, about that team. I, speaking of that last caution when they had the bad pit stop, I cannot believe they didn't stay out with chase and with uh, Reddick and Blaney. Um, I don't understand that, because if they stay out, they take over the lead. You know you need to win to make the playoffs. They're probably not going to point their way in. They're like 23rd in points right now or something like that. Um, I don't know why you, they wouldn't have stayed out there. I think it, and this Ooh, goes back wait, You're saying McDowell?
0: Yeah. McDowell's. Uh, he's 20th in points. He's only 35 out of the playoffs right now.
1: Okay, 20th in points. Either way, I still don't see them pointing their way in to the playoffs. They, like, there's a lot of good teams they have to beat the point their way in. Chase Elliott's probably going to win a race, right? And he's a guy who's behind them. So you have to, to factor that in too. Um, I
0: don't know, man. Don't know. Chase might miss the playoffs. He's not looking too good.
1: He's not. You're definitely not wrong. They, they have not looked super strong. Um, but I still think, I mean, it's, it's Chase Elliott. It's Hendrick Motorsports, the way they've been running this year. I would think Chase Elliott can find his way into victory lane at least once before the playoffs, they're probably not going to be a, you know, a big threat for the championship this year just because of the lack of playoff points. Um, but I think it, even if he doesn't win, I think if you're the 34 car, you have to assume that he will, and you have to think you're probably not going to point your way in. I and mean, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility right now for them, but I wouldn't bank on it. And so if, if it's me, I would think that you maybe try to stay out there and see if you can go win that race I mean you saw it worked really well for Chase Elliott uh, Would have worked well for Blaney If he didn't get dumped um, So I mean I don't know I was just kind of surprised that they didn't they were, I was looking at them I think the 16 was another big one That really should have stayed out there I was really surprised he didn't um, and Just you know Gotta win to make the playoffs I just, you know, I don't, You're not going to beat Truex Just pitting and taking four there Um, I was just surprised there wasn't more people who tried that.
0: I, I actually agree with you. Um, now that you've kind of done some talking uh, and thinking about where the 34 was running. Yeah. 34 probably could have stayed out. 16 definitely could have stayed out. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think I, I, this episode has already been kind of a down note enough. And now we get to talk about NASCAR pit strategy too. So that just (laughs) makes it even better. Um, who all could have stayed out because there was not enough guy. It was chase. The only car that stayed out.
1: No. So it was chase Tyler Reddick and Ryan Blaney. Okay. Um, props to those crew chiefs,
0: 34 and 16 definitely could have stayed out. Um, Ricky Stenhouse jr. Finished 12th props mm -hmm. to that team because every time Ricky Stenhouse has a good run when he doesn't necessarily seem like he would be, expected to we mm-hmm. give props to the team he had the 12th fastest car but i mean why not stay out there you've already got a win well i guess you're probably not going to beat those guys heads up so you may as well just pit um who who else should have stayed out the 20 uh, yeah i mean there's lots guys of guys who
1: could have
0: i mean the one, five could have if he really wanted to The 24, where was the 24 all day today? 10th fastest car in the field. I never saw him.
1: So, yeah, they were, so he qualified like 26th. They were awful uh, on Saturday. It was, William was saying something about like the rear end was just like shaking the whole time. They like threw everything at that car overnight and they got it okay, I think, for today. Um, I remember he started 26th, drove up to like 19th. (laughs) Um, short pitted the first cycle got up to 15th, short pitted the second uh, and then that caution came out and he stayed out, that got him up uh, into like the top 5 and he kind of hung around there you know, kind of the back half of the top 5 and then like the 6th, 7th area pretty much the rest of the day until uh, that last pit cycle and then that last caution and kind of just fell out of the top 10 but still finished around like 14th Hmm.
0: Interesting weekend for the 24 car. I Two years ago, I really expected coming to the next gen era, William Byron to be to have have a breakout season. Um, but I expected him to be kind of a, a force on the road courses because he was starting to show some of that coming into 2022. And mm-hmm. that just hasn't been the case yet. And that really surprised me. We talked about him going into the preview episode for this show he's run well here before but just again no no speed from that team I mean not that 10th place in median lap rank is no speed but it just it wasn't what I had fully anticipated for that car I guess
1: yeah no I agree especially uh, after as well as they ran at Tota I thought they kind of finally figured out whatever they needed to figure out with this car on the road courses but um, maybe not quite I mean, it seems like Hendrik on the road courses kind of as a whole has kind of lost a step uh, compared to where they were with the Gen 6 stuff. Um, so, I mean, that could probably, that probably plays a little bit of a role in it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's you know only what two road course races this year so far. So, I guess we'll see if that ever really becomes a thing, if he ever starts to really show up on road courses. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I thought they would be better on road courses, and it really hasn't been consistent. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's
0: very odd. I expected more out of him this weekend and most weekends. Um, here's another thing worth noting. What car was Todd Gilliland driving this weekend? 51. Okay, because we, we talked about Todd Gilliland in our preview show, and it just kind of completely slipped my mind that he was not driving the 38 this weekend. Mm. And then I, I couldn't figure it out all race. Where did that car end up finishing? 24th place for Todd Gilliland in a Rick Ware racing car. Uh, the 18th fastest car in the field. Gotta give wow. massive props to him. That's impressive. That's very, very solid. Yeah, no, a, for sure. A good run for that team. Oh, uh, that was that was best lap that I just gave. 18th, I think, in best lap. And then uh, median lap. 51 car 29th so drug a 29th fastest car to a solid best lap and a 24th place finish very respectable day for that driver if somebody doesn't have todd gill and plan to be hired next year somebody ought to get on that because he's he's really running well this season it's very impressive um who else needs who else needs a shout from this race ben Ross um, Chastain was better today. I, not much better, yeah. but better than he's been recently. My goodness. That one team has just kind of been nowhere these past couple weeks. I actually, I went back and did some counting from our show a week ago because I'm going to start doing this, of uh, figuring out which drivers we mentioned during the show.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: never once mentioned Ross Chastain last week. That's probably a first it it definitely could be because he tends to just make himself the char- star of the show all the time and that just did not happen last week he was absolutely nowhere and he was he was better this week i mean the 11th fastest car per media lap rank kind of ran right there in the top 10 or near the top 10 most of the day um but then had that caution come out in stage 2 uh jumped up into the top five and then he he kind of just hung around there that seventh ish spot all day um comes home with a solid finish when it's all said and done a p ten I, I guess a good bounce back week for that team, but i I don't know where they're gonna be come championship time i really i expected them to be big contenders again this year, and it they're kind of they're they're making me worry i don't I don't know
1: well, they had the same thing happen last year They came out really, really hot, and really fast. And then towards the middle portion of the season, kind of similarly to what the 24 did, just not to the same extent. Um, But last year, they kind of, they they like lost like probably half a step, I would say, through like the middle portion of the season um, where, you know, they were still good. You know, they were still getting good finishes. They were definitely still competitive, but they just didn't have the raw speed that we saw at the beginning of the season last year. And I think we're seeing a similar trend start this year. Um, only it's, it's honestly, it's looking a little worse um, because it seems like the last couple weeks, uh, they've been pretty off. Um, definitely more so than I think we're accustomed to seeing. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to hit the panic button yet for them. Um, I still think that they're a championship four threat. Um, but I think about how I felt about that team at the beginning of the year, I was thinking they were probably going to be almost a lock for that Final Four, and I'm not so sure I feel that same way anymore. Uh, Like I said, I still think they're a threat, but um, we'll just have to see how they kind of get going through this summer stretch because it's um, going to be, I guess, pretty important uh, to see kind of where this team is going to stack up come playoff time.
0: Yeah, and a guy that didn't have a great day today either was his teammate, year-ago's race winner, Daniel Suarez. I I don't remember seeing the 99 car today at all. He, I Did he even come to Sonoma? A 22nd-place finish, um, median lap rank, 22nd, 1.3% per lap off of Martin Trex Jr., I know we're saying it's not time to hit the panic button for Trackhouse, but Chevrolet, I don't think, has the road course edge anymore. I don't feel like they have any edge on Toyota anymore. I think that those two manufacturers are dead even. And I think that you look at the top two teams, and it's Gibbs and it's Hendrick. And so then that next tier of teams is 2311 and Trackhouse. And I think that Trackhouse might be. It's not time to hit the panic button, I would agree, but it, it's starting to look a little bit sketchy.
1: yeah, for sure, and I mean, I think even uh Ford is starting to catch up a little bit more. um sure, you, know, you yeah, think about Blaney yeah, you think about Blaney winning the six hundred uh, and then he had really good speed last week as well. um you know, I think Ford is starting to kind of figure things out. Uh, I think like you said, Toyota has pretty much caught up to Chevrolet, where it looked like Chevrolet was really dominant at the beginning of the year. Um, I think Toyota definitely has made some gains and is kind of leveled off almost. You know, it's, it's starting to shape up to be a JGR versus Hendrick type of season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess if you're a track house, um, yeah, I mean, you gotta kinda wonder, or I guess you gotta kinda be maybe a, a little bit nervous you know, these seeing how they've run the, these last couple of weeks. Um, and you know, like I said, these, the summer stretch is going to be pretty important just to kind of see where they're going to stack up with, uh, Hendrick and, and Gibbs.
0: Well, and is it time to talk about Daniel Suarez as a driver? Because he looked solid these past two years for Trackhouse racing. Um, he's had a lot of right spots but he his teammate went to the final four last year this year he currently sits 16th in the points while his teammates fifth Um, five top fives for Ross Chastain just one for Suarez. I know we're not big on the top fives top tens but I feel like that's notable when comparing teammates Um, Mm -hmm. you look at the speed ranks supposedly those cars should be in theory a similar to the same car, and on non-drafting ovals, Ross Chastain is third in the series, and Suarez is 17th. Um, I don't know what to think there, but I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe Trackhouse needs a, maybe not necessarily a swap at the 99 car, but an, a third car on that team to bring in more information and uh, and and boost the amount that they have available to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess my thoughts on Daniel Suarez have kind of been more or less the same for a long time, and in, in that he's just like a. To me, he's always kind of been, he's been a average driver in the Cup Series, maybe slightly above average. Um, I mean, you think back to his time at Joe Gibbs. I mean, he was he was young. He's kind of a rookie. Got you know, argue he was rushed just because. Uh, Carl Edwards announcing his retirement but you know he had a, a rough time at Gibbs um, went to Stuart Haas for that one year just barely missed the playoffs but still wasn't great um, and you know at that time Stuart Haas was still kind of top of the top of the pack I guess in terms of speed um, so you know you have to kind of look at that and wonder um you know why why would he have missed the playoffs kind of in being in that situation and then um these last few years of track house, you know the their first year obviously new team they didn't you didn't expect them to be great but even last year he was far off of Chastain just looking at uh median lap rank I believe Chastain on non-drafting levels last year was first um and Suarez is all the way down I think like around 16th or 17th if I counted that correctly um so, a pretty similar gap uh, this year that we saw last year between in the speed uh, between those two teams. Um, so, you know, I think we're, I think it's, you're kind of seeing uh, kind of what that team is in terms of like their, you know, number one, number two driver, uh, if you want to think about it that way. Um, to answer the question, does Trackhouse need to get uh, a third car or do they need someone to replace Suarez potentially Um I don't really have a great answer for that just solely because who could they get whether it's for a third full time car or for a replacement I got somebody in mind. who's that you can take a guess um well Barry's probably going to the four so probably not him no, you don't um, want
0: Barry. You want somebody with cup experience. You want the driver. Probably
1: LeJoy. With the car. No, no, no. You, you want, want Stenhouse. You want Stenhouse.
0: Yeah. I think Stenhouse would be a good fit in that car because he's been driving in the Cup Series long enough um, that I think he could actually help build a team a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. I, unfortunately, I think Corey's just far too inexperienced for that. And I think that, I think Trackhouse, it could be looking at a similar situation to SHR where they just need more guys that bring in good information.
1: Yeah, that, that could be. My only hesitation with uh, Stenhouse in terms of building a, a, helping build a quality cup program is just that he's never seen one, really. You know, I mean, when he was with Roush, they were on <laughs> the downslide. Um, and now he's with a small team at JTG that's definitely growing um, and definitely getting better. But I wouldn't call them... Deal Alex Dolman, maybe? Yeah, I mean, like obviously Bowman's kind of locked up with Hendrick right now, but yeah, I mean, I think that wouldn't that would be a good thing for Bowman too, really, to kind of give himself a chance to be like a number one or number two driver on a team. Uh, not that you know necessarily they're they're ranked, you know, internally, but I mean, you kind of know at Hendrick Bowman's you know the fourth driver you know, in terms of like quality, so to speak. Um, so, you know, it might be good for his confidence at least to kind of go to a team where he knows he's the guy, um, maybe. But at the same time, if I'm Alex Bowman, I, I don't want to leave Hendrick Motorsports where, they're, where they are right now. And in a situation with Ally, you know, having a full-season sponsor, which is incredibly rare at this point uh, in, in the Cup Series, if I was Bowman, I wouldn't leave that situation unless I'm forced out.
0: So, yeah, I mean... Interesting thought of who could who could steal that car. I'm just seeing how far his contract runs. Uh, Chase Briscoe. Because if I'm Chase Briscoe, I would not mind jumping ship right now. Yeah. But it looks like he's locked up for a little while.
1: So, yeah, no, he, uh, he's, I think he signed his contract earlier this year. He did. Um, he did. It's a multi year extension, but yeah. He didn't reveal how long so
0: yeah i think track house is kind of in a box there and i don't even know if that would be the solution anyway Mm -hmm. uh but yeah that suarez was hoping for a better day for that team we talked about him coming into the show as somebody that might run well and just not
1: not quite the case i don't know what really happened there um oh well you know what happened is that he had that big downshift uh that accidental downshift right at the beginning of the race Um, oh you're right i forgot about that and he fell back all the way to like 29 and i think honestly it was just a lot of it was just a product of not being able to get back up through the field um Mm -hmm. more than anything else i don't know that really their car was all that bad um as much as it was just they lost a ton of track position there because of that mistake um and then it's just never really able to get it back in a meaningful way yeah
0: for sure um We talk about SHR every single week at this point. So when are we supposed to stop talking about SHR? When are we supposed to just accept that this is normal? Because I can't seem to do it yet. I I think we're just going to have to accept it now at this point. I mean... Because, listen, can we agree that Chase Briscoe is an exceptional road course racer? Like, I don't Uh, think that's long to say. And he finished 29th. Like, that's just not... Something's not right there. 26th fastest car in the field for Briscoe. 1.6% off of Martin Shrek Jr. I don't know what to say about SHR at this point. Like, that that shouldn't happen. Like, I know Briscoe's not excellent at Sonoma. This isn't really his place. He would fit better, more at... I mean, he he runs well at the Roval. He runs well at Watkins Glen. runs well at Indianapolis, but... Mm. Regardless, he he's he's had a lot of success at road courses over the years. I would expect him to be somewhere in the vicinity of the top ten, but he ran around near the legacy cars this weekend. It was it was not good for the fourteen team. I don't know, I don't know what the deal is there. That's that they turned the twenty seventh best lap of the race, by the way.
1: Yeah, man. I don't know where. I don't. I just don't know where SHR fell so far off and I mean it's seemingly it's it's just it's with everyone except for Kevin Harvick I mean (laughs) I just like I don't understand I you know I don't want to sit here and play the blame game but like my first thought has to be crew chiefs Uh, I know we've kind of touched on this before in a past episode but I mean Rodney Childers and and Kevin Harvick together um, they've still been. Great. I mean, third Hmm. in uh, median lap rank on non-drafting ovals. Wait wait
0: a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe it's not the crew chief's fault. What did we talk about last week? I'm going to make a crazy suggestion here. Mm -hmm. We're thinking that maybe JTG got got a little bit more information this year. And all of a sudden, RFK is looking better. Yep. Did SHR get some support fault? Pulled in favor of Roush.
1: Um, that would be
0: really weird and would make no sense. But at this point, I'm not willing to put that out of the question because they just look so off.
1: I wouldn't think that would be the case, just because if you're Ford, I mean, it's not like they have like a overwhelming amount of teams, you know, like like Chevy kind of does. Um. I wouldn't think there would be any reason to have to reduce support to one team just to get more to another, uh, especially considering, I mean, Roush is just, just a two-car team. Penske's a three-car team. Uh, and then SHR is a four-car team. I mean, that's I really wouldn't think you, they would have to pull any amount of support. I don't necessarily... I don't think they would anyways. I mean, it, you know, if you're, you're thinking about... as As Ford, you, for a while, really only had two legit competitive teams for a long time uh, once uh, Roush kind of fell off the map. So I wouldn't think you would pull support for one of those teams that had kind of been your, really was your most successful team for most of, like, the mid-2010s. So I wouldn't think that's the case. Um, I think it's got to be something else. Um, Maybe, I mean, Ford as a whole has been off this year for sure. Uh, They weren't great last year either, even though Joey Logano did win the championship. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess if anything, I would just guess that Ford's fallen more behind. Um, Maybe SHR just doesn't have the best driver crew chief lineup right now outside of Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers. That would really be the only thing I could think of. Otherwise, I mean, I don't know.
0: We'll leave SHR alone again because I don't know what to say about this team anymore. Um, We had a we had another good showing out of the driver of the seven car this weekend. He was no longer in the nine. That was Corey LaJoy. Um, That team ran like fifteenth to twentieth all day long. Spire Motorsports a good run winds up with the twentieth place finish. Turns the second fastest lap of the race, which is unexpected to say the least Mm -hmm. um and also has a solid median lap rank of 20th and then put the car right there when the day was said and done great weekend for cory lajoy who isn't exactly known as a spectacular road racer but we kind of i kind of called this going into the weekend looking at that best lap rank from sonoma it was a stretch and a half but here we are a solid run from from spire motorsports
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I don't think people typically think of Corey LaJoy as a high-level road course racer, but got the job done this weekend. Um, really, really great that they posted the second fastest lap of the race. Really, really impressive. Definitely would not have uh, thought that that would be the team to do that. Um, but yeah, no, definitely a great run for Spire. Um, they've just been really, really good for, you know, when you think about where that team was, even just last year, um, pretty sure they were second to last in the standings of all the full-time teams. I think they were only ahead of Ty Dillon in the 42. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, to see where they, when you look at where they were last year and now you look at where they are now, um, it's, it's really impressive. It's great for that team to, have such a big improvement. Um, the other Spire car, now driven by Ty Dillon, finished 23rd, which is probably one of the best finishes that car has gotten all year. That might so, be I mean, more
0: impressive than LaJoy's 20th. Yeah,
1: honestly. Um, so yeah, I mean, just Spire is definitely on the up and up. And it's it's cool to see a small team like that kind of continuously improve each year. Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, my favorite game has
0: gotten a little bit less fun this weekend. Uh, we're not going to play it because we played it last week. But uh, Corey LaJoy has lost one of the... Uh, well, he's still beating all those SHR cars. But he has lost a points position to Austin Cindric who is a key partner team. Um, mm. So Joy drops to 22nd in the standings. But that is still nothing nothing to scoff at for Corey LaJoy. Still having a great year. Um, not looking like they're going to point their way into the playoffs. but. Maybe someday, maybe someday. Um, who else do we need to talk about in this race? Anybody that's on your mind?
1: Um, let's see.
0: We've we've hit a lot of guys. I do want to touch on uh, the Legacy Motor Club 42 car this weekend. Um, don't think many people were expecting Gregson not to be in the car this weekend. Oh yeah. Um, I had I should have had suspicions of this coming into the weekend because I watched N Finger getting his seat fitted in the 42 car before we recorded the show. (laughs) I just didn't really think much of it because there's a test coming up. And so I just figured that maybe he was getting to drive it or something for some reason. I don't really Mm -hmm. know, but that never crossed my mind. And then the news came out like very shortly after I'm like, wow, that was kind of foolish of me. I definitely should have seen that one coming, but uh Yeah. Enfinger drove the 42 car this weekend and really wasn't there for most of the race because he's never driven a cup car, let alone a next-gen, which Mm. is uh, next to no similarity to the trucks anymore. But by the end of the race, he had pretty well figured out the car and was able to bring home a fairly solid finish, um, despite what was a, a pretty difficult day, finished 26th. Um, So uh, impressive job by Enfinger to just, I mean, got so much better as the day went on, like just figuring out how much more braking power he had available to him and the way you need to work the lines with this car, because just the way that you drive this is very different to the way that that you drive a truck. And that's what he's done his entire career. Um, So uh, an impressive run from him this weekend. Not that that's ever really going to translate to a Cup Series opportunity, because that's not really the career path he's on right now. But certainly an interesting guy to throw in the car and a, a solid performance did what he was supposed to do, brought it home in one piece.
1: Yeah, definitely cool to see a guy like Grant Infinger get the opportunity. Obviously he's a, a bit older. I think he's like 37, 38, something like that. Um, so you're right. He's probably not really going to get a, a full-time cup opportunity uh, at this point in his career, unless it's maybe with a backmarker marker team. Um, but still nonetheless cool to get for him to get that opportunity uh, definitely did a good job considering the circumstances, you know, never having been in the gen seven car. Um, and, you know, just kind of adapting to it and keeping out of trouble and taking, bringing home a good finish. That's really all they want you to do when you're in a substitute role. Um, and, you know, it's, it's certainly possible uh, that they might need him or just in general, a substitute driver again for Nashville. Cause you never know with, some of these concussions, how long it's going to keep a driver out? Um, hopefully, you know. Obviously, we hope Noah gets back as soon as possible. Um, but it's certainly a possibility that he might not be ready to go for Nashville. So, it could be another chance for uh, Grand and Finger to get an opportunity in this car on an oval.
0: Yeah, that would be that'd be interesting to see. We'll see. I mean, hopefully Noah's back in the car by then. Uh, yeah. It, unfortunate situation but I made made most of it so it is what it is Um, I don't know that I really have anything else I want to talk about from this race and we've got an off week coming up so we're going to take a moment to talk a little bit about the way that stage racing works and then next week we will preview Nashville and we will also talk about uh, looking forward to the playoffs because that'll be coming up pretty quick. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that stuff next week, but for now, if you don't got anything else on this race, we'll shift our focus to stage racing as a whole, because we're not doing stage racing on road courses this year. And I don't know how to feel about it yet.
1: I think I'm ready to move on if you are.
0: All right, let's do this stage racing on road courses. Yay or nay?
1: nay i very much have enjoyed what i've seen these first two road course races without the stage cautions um i would like to see the stage cautions gone everywhere um that's just me though uh what do you what did you think
0: well you see i don't think that this race was a very good showing of it and um i'm a big proponent of just having the same rules everywhere mm-hmm. however road courses and stage cautions just do not go together because it destroys the strategy. It just makes it entirely pointless because then you have to choose between, we talked about this last week, but you have to choose between points or winning the race, which is just a terrible thing to have to do. And then it also just makes it make no sense to where like the stages aren't always placed at the end of fuel runs. And so then like the way the timing of the pit stops, it's just all kind of odd. But when it's run like this, where you still award the points, we just don't throw the yellows. It works very nicely. Now on the ovals, I love restarts and I have no problem with randomly throwing two restarts into the middle of the race. I don't see an issue with it. I love the the concept of being able to have two cautions planned in for TV to take planned commercial races. um also when attending races, um particularly with my family, my little brother. Uh, a caution's not a bad thing that he knows is coming because that man cannot not use the restroom through an entire race. It's just not going to happen. So that's not a bad thing either. However, it's kind of, it's completely a gimmick i was about to say it's kind of a gimmick but it is completely yeah. a gimmick um and i i do I, I think it's okay to remove them on the road courses and i'd like to do the same thing with the speedways as well um in large part because i feel like they actually hurt the speedway product mm-hmm. but i think I, I wouldn't i wouldn't be opposed to getting rid of them entirely if we went to shorter races and i think that if we fixed the problems that we have with the car, then we wouldn't need them so badly because the show would just be better naturally.
1: Yeah, I, I'm still a big proponent of get rid of them everywhere. And the reason I say this is because and I was talking to you about this a little bit before we started recording, but I've been watching a lot of old NASCAR races, like all different years, like 90s, 2004, 2005, uh, you know, even like early 2000s, like 2000, 2001, uh, 2010 as well, Cup Series, Bush Series, you know, just all kinds of old races, right? And so obviously all these races are before stage cautions uh, and all this stuff. And it's just kind of like, I think a large part of the, the lack of passing that we see um, is partly to do with stage racing in a way, right? Because Before, when you didn't have stage races and you were just racing for the win, you would have different moments in the race where you know some guys wouldn't be pushing and they'd be saving their tires. And so, you know, you'd have a guy like you know Mark Martin or Jeff Gordon um, who were kind of smart and had the the bigger picture in their head. And so, if they had someone who was faster than them, just let them go by uh, because you're trying to save your tires. Uh, You're you're focused on. Uh, you know, the bigger picture, end of the race, uh, just trying to kind of get your car working the way you wanted to, you know, whatever it was, right? So you'd have smarter veteran drivers who kind of wouldn't race you super hard early in the race. And then you'd have, like, at the time, the younger guys like Kyle Busch, uh, Kurt Busch to an extent, who were just, you know, really hard chargers and, you know, want to get their way up through the field and get to the lead and lead a bunch of laps. Um, and I think that contributed a lot to the kind of comers and goers effect that we would see. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the passing that you actually had throughout the race, you know? Um, but now you don't really have a choice. You have to push all the time, you know, and and obviously having a tire that doesn't fall off a lot, kind of exasperates that issue or kind of that, that thought process. Um, but yeah, now, so now you have drivers that are pushing, you know, just about a hundred percent every lap because you got to get those stage points And you pile that on top of the fact that you have a car that isn't different, you know, when you're talking about the top teams, right? You have a spec car that there's there's not a lot of differences. So the speed difference is usually pretty small. You combine all those factors and you get some races where people don't really go anywhere. Um, Obviously, you know, you have the dirty air issues and stuff like that as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you just don't really have a, a... different way of driving other than just push, 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 push. And a lot of the cars kind of are within you know, a tenth, tenth and a half of each other. you just not really going to see passing. Like it's just, it, it really, it, it won't happen. Like he, even if you get a tire that falls off a little bit, if everybody kind of falls off at the same pace because everybody's pushing as hard as they can the whole time, you're still really not going to see a ton of passing, right? And with the spec car, you know, there's not really a great way of, uh, putting in a setup or something like that, that would kind of reduce your tire wear a bit. That would still be fast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a kind of a big part of the lack of passing we sometimes see. And that's kind of a big reason why I'm very much into the no more stages.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hopping on board for a, a host of reasons. The main one being that I really like the stages because it makes the drivers, I guess, hang on. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misread, misreading this. Are you saying get rid of the stages or are you saying get rid of the stage cautions? Because those are two different debates.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Because um, <laughs> yeah. if you get rid of the stage cautions,
0: I got no problem with that necessarily I just disagree with you on most ovals um, because I think that more restarts are not a bad thing, which is in large part why I think we need a tire that wears out because then we'd get some more cautions. Uh, that's another issue that I'd never think yeah. about a tire wears. If we get a tire that wears out more, we'll get more wrecks and then we get restarts and that's highlight real stuff. Um, what else do we, I, you, you got to tell me which way you're trying to go here because I'm not opposed to getting rid of the stages entirely either, but in that case, we need to shorten the races. And I, I I'm, I'm a huge fan of shorter races, not because I want less NASCAR, but because I feel like if NASCAR is going to actually ever get that 18 to 40 age demographic, we've got to shorten our events and make people want it more because there's not so much of it.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think especially with the playoff system the way it is, I think. Ha- still giving out stage points and, you know, a playoff point to the stage winner, um, just without the cautions, kind of like we're doing on the row courses. I think that would work fine for the ovals. Um, you know, obviously if you have my way, we have like a full season points championship or maybe even just go back to the chase and, but we don't have to get into that right now. Um, but yeah, I think with the playoffs, I think you can keep the stage points and the, the playoff points that they award, uh, and just forego the caution. Um, because I, I'm with you in that cautions do tend to make a more exciting race, um, but not necessarily when they're planned out and you know exactly when they're going to be. And then you can, you know, teams strategize around when those planned cautions are going to come out. I think that kind of hurts the racing. Um, I think when the cautions kind of happen naturally and it kind of, uh, you know, maybe, ca- I guess, catches teams off guard when it happens. And uh, they don't have time to plan for it. I think that kind of that makes the strategy better. I think it makes the, the racing better. Um, I think it just kinda it helps everything.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree with planned cautions do hurt the strategy most of the time. I just think that on the ovals the strategy is pretty straightforward anyway. So there's really no no benefit to it. Here's another thought. How would you feel about smaller fuel tanks? This is kind of completely out of left field, but
1: um, I don't know. I don't
0: a smaller fuel tank, a tire that wears more, a shorter race, and we pit the same amount, yeah, um, you know what I'm saying like we we're, we're 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 burning through tires really fast. We're not yep. staying on the racetrack for very long, and we're we're running into we're, we're like we're running like thirty laps, maybe, and we're pitting every time.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Me, me personally, I wouldn't love that just because I, I like having the longer green flag runs sometimes to kind of let the race develop a little bit. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean I want an entire race to go green and just have someone like run away all the time. N- not necessarily what I want. but um, I think having some long green flag runs to kind of um, let, kind of let us have the chance to have some comers and goers, you know, once we get a tire that can wear out a little bit. Um, And you know, just kind of give us the chance to actually have that dynamic kind of workout. I feel like you would lose that, obviously, if you, you know you're having to pit um, all that frequently, even if you do have a tire that wears out a ton, right? Like, there's only so much it can wear realistically uh, in like a short period of time. So even if you have a tire that falls off like, you know, say two and a half seconds after 20, 20 laps on like Char- at Charlotte. You know, you're still not going to have enough time to actually see that tire wear promote some coming-to-goers because, you know, they'd have to pit in about, like, 10, 15 laps. So you're not really going to get the chance to kind of see that play out. So I, I probably wouldn't really be in favor of that.
0: Yeah, well, then what are your opinion on shorter races in general?
1: I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I think it, it would probably, it would probably be better for NASCAR just in terms of, like, maybe having a chance at you know, like the casual sports fan, um, just because people don't want to dedicate three and a half, four hours every single Sunday to watch the race if they're not really, really into it. You know, you think about like a, a football game or a basketball game or something like that. They're typically like two, two and a half hours. Um, so, And even you look at F1 races, it's the same deal. They're typically two, two and a half hours. Uh, well, they F1 don't,
0: couldn't bear to be a minute longer because... Yeah. That's, I mean, that's an awfully long nap if they stretch the race any longer.
1: (laughs) Like, that's that's not even fair. Oh, my God. Well, see, so actually this hits on something that I think is the biggest thing NASCAR struggles with um, is just, like, storytelling uh, is what it comes down to and kind of making things seem important.
0: Are we really going to get into a broadcast discussion right now? Is is now the time...
1: We don't have to. Um, we could save it for another time. It was just, you know, when you mentioned the F1, it kind of, like, clicked in my mind, but I was like, yeah, well, you know, that kind of brings us to another issue. But what's
0: the F1... Uh, may, uh, shoot,
1: I'm drawing a blank. Um, what's the F1 by plays guy's name? Uh, is it Martin Brundle? Or is it uh, David Croft? It's one of those two. I think, I, yeah, it's not Brundle. It could be... I think it's David Croft and and there's one other guy that's up there. I can't remember.
0: It could be whoever it is, man. I think that that guy could make about 75% of sports fans be invested in watching a cow eat grass. If he was (laughs) it because, Oh my goodness. We can have guys be 1.2 seconds apart inform in a formula one race and that guy if if you didn't have the audio or if you didn't have the visual and you just had the audio a lot of the time you would think that they were like not just wheel to wheel but like wheels on top of wheels excitement mm-hmm. that's the kind of energy that we need and that's why i like nbc's broadcasts is because they tend to be more like that Oh, we get NBC back next week, next time, oh, yeah. don't we? Oh my goodness, this is great news. Now, God. mind you, NBC's not perfect either, but mm-hmm. I feel like they're more energetic like the F1 broadcasts than Fox is.
1: Yeah, and so I think since we're kind of starting to get into this, let me just say it, right? We need broadcasters who can make what's happening on track seem important. That's Jamie really McPurry. Yes, right. Like you, so you need a couple different things. Um, for me at least, to make a broadcast enjoyable, you need a a play by play person who can kind of make the race seem exciting, even if it's not super exciting. You have to make the action that is happening on track seem important. That's what um, the F one broadcaster do a really really good job of. That's also what um I don't know if you 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 must know who Johnny Gibson is, right? The World of Outlaws guy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Right. He does the same thing, you know, like it, and it helps that that racing actually is super exciting, but he, he gets really, really animated and, you know, kind of really, and here's the here's
0: key thing also of like, sometimes in NASCAR, they try and like tell you that it's super exciting. You don't want to be told that it's super exciting because that's, that just pushes people away because like as much as people s- won't say this, Subconsciously, nobody wants to be told what what to think and and people's brains pick up on that stuff, whether yeah. or not you want them to it it is the truth it's just how it works and sometimes, I feel like Fox runs into that of like se- like trying to tell how exciting it is. You can't do that you got to just say what's happening, but say it in a way with so much energy that it it seems exciting, you know
1: yeah, and i I would have thought Clint Boyer would have. Kind of been that guy, but he's, he's just like for a while. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, he gets too like goofy and kind of unserious That's for me, and it just right. like I think it detracts. I feel from like the Junior product.
0: is that guy for NBC, though. Yes, exactly. Junior is what like I kind of thought Boyer could be. You know, mm-hmm. of just the the high energy, but like still takes it serious, but can also t- make a joke and get away with it. Um. And, and part of the reason that I love Jamie McMurray is because he's very knowledgeable, but he's also, like, I feel like he just has more insight to give than Boyer does, and I, I think he's higher energy as well.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, Clint Boyer, Clint Boyer was a good driver in the Cup Series, don't get me wrong, but he was not an analytical driver. He was very much like the just kind of, the go out and just go drive type And, you know, not really think of a a ton about it. At least that's kind of the image he gives up. You know, maybe for all I know, he was really grinding, uh, studying a ton, you know, in in his free time uh, between races. I don't really know. But the way he's kind of presented himself, he makes himself kind of sound like the type of driver who is just going to kind of show up uh, for the race weekend and just kind of go out and drive and debrief with the team and then, you know, not really think much about it outside of that. Right, so you because of that, you know, it, it, this is common with a lot of race car drivers where they're not necessarily the best analysts or you know the best driver coaches because they don't really always understand exactly what made them good. You know, they just kind of went out and did it. Um, versus, you know, maybe a guy like Jamie McMurray was maybe a little more analytical about it and about how he drove, right? And he maybe studied it a little bit more, um, you know, trying to find like an edge or an advantage on someone, and so. To me, I would guess that that's why he's better uh, at kind of giving insight uh, on a battle um, than someone like Clint Boyer, right? But, you know, and then like you were saying um, for MDC for Dale Jr., I mean, like, yeah, he's really, really good at being that guy who kind of uh, really makes you – he doesn't – again, like you were saying, he doesn't tell you, oh, this is really exciting, guys. Like, look at that – no, he just the way he describes it. He he has <laughs> to so quote much Jeff more Gordon, energy. To quote
0: Jeff Gordon, there you said it, you, you use the infamous line. Look oh at this. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Oh my gosh, man! I really wanted Jeff Gordon to be good in the booth, man. He was just yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't bad. He just wasn't no bad
0: either. But NBC, Latart, Jr. Both ten out of tens. I know some people give Rick Allen a hard time and fair enough. He does. He does have his moments, but I think Rick Allen's pretty good. Um, I was not, a big
1: Rick Allen hater back in like 2018 for sure. Yeah. I was, a, I was a huge Rick Allen hater, but I genuinely think he's so much better, uh, of a broadcaster now than he was then. Um, I really,
0: I really do like Rick Allen now, but wow, his, his Jimmy Johnson championship call just hurts so bad. It it really hurts, but yeah, he's pretty good. Really, when
1: when he won his seventh, yeah, really, I didn't have a problem with that. The nail in the final coffin. Oh, okay. Well, I was just thinking of the move over uh, Richard Petty and and Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, that's that's the part I think of. Yeah, that's why I think like, damn, I'm like, that's like that was one of the most iconic moments in like recent NASCAR history. I'm surprised you didn't like that, but no, yeah, no, no. I,
0: that one was great. It was the mm. it was the couple laps before that that was yeah. just, oh ouch, um pain. <laughs> <laughs> but he he's gotten a lot better. He's gotten yeah, a lot absolutely. better. He's very, very, very good now, I would say. And with Latart and Jr. and I I don't love Jeff Burton, but I mean he's not bad either. He just kind of sometimes gives I feel like I feel like we'd know more about Jeff Burton if there weren't so many guys in the NBC booth. Yeah, uh, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. He's he's not. He's certainly not bad. I don't have anything against the yeah. guy.
1: I think my favorite thing about Jeff Burton as a, a broadcaster is that he is very to the point. In the sense that, like, if a driver does something dumb on track, he will just straight up say
0: that's that true. Was dumb. That's true. Which I I appreciate that from him is that he has no problem like telling it how it is. Like he will that
1: not. That was the thing I hated the most about Daryl Waltrip um, as a broadcaster. And, and Michael Waltrip is kind of this way, too. Like, it just, it did not matter what happened. Like, he would always try to find a way to kind of avoid criticizing the driver unless it was just, like, outlandish. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But more often than not, he kind of just be like, oh, you know, he might have just, like, the car was probably just bad or this and that or like he just he would find a way to try to not blame the driver which I get it you know the broadcasters have a relationship with a lot of these guys you don't want to piss them off and and make them kind of you know not be as receptive to you or maybe not want to talk to you when you're trying to get information uh, about the race during the weekend so I I get that there's like a weird line to walk there but man I, I appreciate it about Jeff Burton that if someone does something dumb he'll say it uh, and he'll, he'll make it clear that that's how he feels. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that is a very appreciated thing in
0: the booth and also shout out to, uh, to Mr. Jeff Burton, because clearly the man, um, has an analytical taste cause he follows auto racing analytics on Twitter. So oh, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll finally, maybe we'll finally get a TV shout out for our, for our restart numbers at some point. <laughs> I know gosh, darn it. Parker Kligerman a year ago used one of our stats on TV interviewing William Byron and just failed to mention where it came from. It was really, but maybe this year, maybe this year it'll be Burton that comes through. Ben, I don't really know that I have anything else to talk about with, with stage racing, with TV broadcasts, with this race. I think we ought to just put her on pause and uh, next week we'll, we'll, we'll prep the playoffs. We'll look back on our, our predictions that, I mean, they're not bad. But they could have no. been they could have been a little bit better. um, and then preview Nashville. that'll that'll be next weekend's show. And yep. yeah, I think that's kind of it,
1: yeah. I think I pretty much covered anything I wanted to cover there with stage racing. The broadcasting was a little bit of a surprise entry, I guess, into the conversation, but thought it was a good uh, discussion nonetheless,
0: yeah. so I don't now now, I'm also keeping track now. Of what drivers we talk about in each show, and then at the end of the show, we're going to mention or we're we're going to take a moment to talk about the driver who is either highest in the finishing order or the highest in points um, that we did not talk about. So, which which should we go with? Highest finisher or highest in points for today?
1: Um, let's see. I would say let's go highest. Let's go highest finisher. Highest finisher.
0: All right. So the first one that jumps out at me is Brad Keslowski. How did he finish? 16th? That could be it. I, I think the, it was Logano. Denny, Denny Hamlin, maybe? We did mention Logano today. Oh, we did? We huh. did. Where did Logano finish? Third? Third. Um, I don't see anybody else. Bubba, Priest. Where Priest finished 13th. Where did I yeah. say that? Kozlowski finished. 16th. 16th. So Priest is our new leader in the clubhouse. It's looking like Ryan Priest unless Ty Gibbs ran finished well. I know he ran he really well, But he didn't he finished, no, he finished 18th. All right, so so Ryan Priest. Um actually a solid finish for Ryan Priest. Mm-hmm. A 13th on a day where SHR was down. That's not that's not bad. I mean I don't know what any, anything on Ryan Priest's season as a whole He's just kind of been quieter than I had really hoped for But yeah, I think I that's think, fault
1: Yeah, I, I really it, it stinks because he's finally getting uh, What we thought was a good opportunity At the Cup Series level um, But obviously S.H.R. is just Really, really far off um, So, you know, he's not really getting The opportunity that I think people thought He was getting um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't, it doesn't uh, kind of hurt people's perception of him as a driver. Uh, I wouldn't think it would. I, I would hope that most uh, decision-makers at teams are kind of smart enough to look at the situation at SHR and realize that they're really off. Um, but I don't know. You know, David Smith used to always say that decision-makers on some of these teams aren't really, uh, you know, the best at evaluating uh, a finish and you know the strength of equipment and, and things of that nature um so I, i'm i'm concerned that people will look at this season from ryan priest and kind of write him off as oh this was the second chance in the cup series he didn't produce the first time he's not producing now uh you know no more ryan I'm, I'm really i'm concerned about that happening i'm hoping it doesn't um but we'll see really good we day voted- for him for sure
0: yeah, no, a good
1: day at a track that necessarily wasn't
0: expected from him. So, good run, Ryan Priest. Sorry, we completely forgot that you were in this race. Um, this this week. Um, how how do I close this show? Even I don't even remember. I struggled to remember last week too. Um, if you guys managed to find this podcast without following the Twitter. Congrats. You are really something special. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Go follow the Twitter. It's AR underscore analytics. That's auto racing analytics on Twitter. Um, Over there, I should be posting some more um, data leading into Nashville, posting some restart stuff just as far as where everybody's at so far this year. Um, I just, I haven't had enough time to keep the Twitter updated recently, but I'll try and get that out to you guys more efficiently. And uh, the Sonoma data should go on to the website here pretty soon. I'm planning on releasing this Monday afternoon, Monday evening. Um, So the Sonoma data probably won't be up yet, but it should be up on autoracinganalytics.com soon. Um, And all the season-long stats should get updated before Nashville as well. Uh,
1: Ben, where can the people find you? People can find me at benamato24a on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, doing the vlogging thing. Um, Cause you know why not? Um, should be back racing on Friday. Uh, getting a, a new, not a new, but another little twelve hundred motor put in my legend car for people who follow legend car racing and know knows what that means. You understand my struggle. Um, so yeah, getting one of those put in tomorrow. Uh, hopefully, we'll be ready for Friday. It'll if I am ready for Friday, it'll turn out I only missed one race this season so far. So that'll be kind of nice. Um, so yeah, I'll be keeping everyone updated, the racing stuff there, um, on Instagram and Twitter, vlogs on YouTube, check those out, help me get views and subscribers on YouTube so I can (laughs) show something to sponsors to make them think I have some more value for them. That's the goal. I mean,
0: it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't have sponsors and nor do I have value to sponsors because, um, I'm a man with a calculator. So <laughs> that's not exactly marketable, but it is marketable to race teams. So that's how I got where I'm at. Um, I don't think there's anything else to say. So you got any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, actually. to uh, Tour Pro Late Model Race happened this past Saturday or yesterday. Um, I didn't actually get a chance to watch it, but I'm definitely going to watch the replay on Flow Racing. Um, this will make everybody sad, or at least it makes me sad. Um, it's 12-year-old kid, Tristan McKee, won the pro late model race. Um, so, you know, that's cool. Glad that a kid over 10 years younger than me is farther along in his racing career. Um, that hurts a little bit, but, you know, I'll live with it. Um, but, yeah, Katie Hettinger finished second. She's pretty legit. Uh, she's been running pro late models um, pretty much this whole year with Anthony Campy. Uh, has run pretty well. Um, yeah, she's, she's like 15 or something like that. So she's pretty young too. Uh, pretty good driver. Probably another one that you'll see starting to come up through the Toyota pipeline. Um, you know, maybe make some Arca starts, Arca East starts, maybe in the next year or two. Who knows? Um, so she's another one to keep an eye on. Um, yeah.
0: And as for me, I got I got a couple final thoughts here uh nascar's showing at Lamar, not too shabby Mm. i would say it was pretty solid um finished the race which is really the only goal and the car looked cool on track um ran well was faster than expected so that's good to see um also shout out to shr driver eric almirola for winning the xfinity race on saturday (laughs) That was really odd and random and unexpected, um. But Eric Almarola won a road course race in the Xfinity Series. I don't know. That was that was very strange. That kind of just yeah. came out of absolutely nowhere.
1: But oh, can I say something about that real quick? Go right ahead. So I don't remember what team that that was like under the banner. RSS Greenlight. Yeah, RSS Greenlight. It's an SHR car. Yeah, come on, y'all. Like I just. I've been, like, I don't know. I just, it bothers me sometimes. Like, because same deal with Cole Custer last year. Um, it's just, like, people think, like, and they act like it on the broadcast. Like, oh, that's an RSS, you know, green light car, whatever. Uh, you know, that Eric Almirol has really taken that, you know, small team and running real well. And they went on that same mantra with Cole Custer last year. And I'm just kind of like, come on. Like, we know it's an SHR car. Like, this is what I'm talking about with the broadcast. Like, they talk to fans like none of us know what's going on, which, like, some of us don't. But, you know, for the ones who do, it's a little bit insulting to our intelligence to be like, you know, like, we don't know that's an SHR car. Come on. Yeah,
0: nah. uh, So Almirola won that race, um, and
1: Kyle Larson
0: did not, which was extremely surprising. And if it wasn't going to be Larson, you figured it'd be AJ Allmendinger, but... Just didn't happen. Very <laughs> strange. Um, I swear I had something else, but it's not coming to mind. Oh, on the topic of you bringing up, uh, I saw your I saw your your quote tweet of something else. Anybody that thinks that that Spire Motorsports truck is a Spire Motorsports truck when William Byron or Kyle Larson is in it, you lost your marbles. But that's yeah. beside the point. This is yeah. episode number seventeen of Positions Net. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.